Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 18th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The next budget absolutely has to be a budget about children, about child welfare and about tackling child poverty. That's according to Simon Harris, who was speaking yesterday while launching funding of €1 million for adult literacy. The Minister for Higher Education says there will be measures in October's budget to help children and families. Simon Harris says there will be measures that will put money in people's pockets. Many families in Ireland need a bit of assistance, he said. They need some of their money back, in his view, and that's what a government should be doing in a cost-of-living crisis. The minister says there will certainly have to be more measures in the budget to help people address energy poverty, but the specifics of that will have to wait a couple of weeks. Having said that, Simon Harris went on to say that personally he thinks the three energy credits given last year were very effective and that although they were costly, every taxpayer benefited in a reduction on their bill. Harris says uh, there is a need for more measures to tackle energy poverty in Budget 2024. Let's speak to Donka O'Leary, who is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on social protection. And a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. I'm sure you'd echo some of what the Minister had to say, but would you agree that measures should be put in place that benefit every taxpayer? Well, look, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that uh, I certainly agree, like, I mean, that the, uh, you know, we need to be focusing on the most vulnerable. I'm not totally sure that that was achieved in the last budget. The energy credits uh, were, I suppose, were were not unwelcome. But the fact is, when you look at uh, the social protection rates, including for pension and disability and various costs like that, they didn't keep pace with the cost of inflation. Um, So people fell behind. Um, Inflation was was running extremely high and the increase in the cost didn't come anywhere close Mm. to to meeting that. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at now in relation to this budget, those people who have fallen behind. Uh, And when you look at energy in particular, like, I mean, when we talk about the cost of living crisis, there's lots of things in that. Um, There's rent, there's childcare, there Mm. is all your education costs, but probably the biggest thing that people notice most and maybe the thing that's 
affect people on the most material day-to-day level is the cost of energy. And we are seeing um, about 160,000 gas customers in arrears, about 200,000 electricity customers mm. in arrears. And a lot of these are in very serious arrears. A lot of these are people who are who are under very, very severe yeah, pressure. And many of them not paying taxes in the first place. But uh, whether you put money uh, into the pockets of those less well-off and those who are struggling and all of the taxpayers is another question, isn't it? In that, uh, I mean, there's lots of very high earners who pay taxes. Michael O'Leary pays taxes, I'm sure. Ryan Tuberty pays taxes. Uh, but do they need €200 Euro to help them with the heating? No, well, look, so, so, like, I mean, I suppose what we would have argued for would have been, like, you do need to have a mixture. You do need to have your universal... Um, your universal type benefits, you know, things like child benefit and things like that, that benefit. And you do, you need to have, if people are paying their taxes, then people need to benefit. But there are higher earners who don't need support in every respect. And I think you're right there. And I think in relation to the energy release, we would have supported tax, or or sorry, we would have supported relief um, for those assisting low and middle income earners up to about €70,000. So we think that that would have been a reasonable cut-off for for assistance. For a single earner, is it? uh, Up to 70000 For a single earner, yes, indeed. And and that that you'd consider that to be a middle income earner? Well, I mean, I think it would ensure that there are no middle income earners not getting assistance. I don't know that that would necessarily be a middle income earner, but I would think that you could reasonably call somebody on Mm. uh, 50,000 or 55,000 a middle income earner. I think you could reasonably consider that. And you'd give somebody on 55 or 70,200 euro? Well, look, I mean, I'm not sure that necessarily, look, I mean, we're obviously working on our alternative budget at this point in time. The point that I would make is that while the energy credits um, are are a beneficial item and uh, they have assisted people, like, I mean, we would like to see in the budget that you're not just talking about the one-offs. And I would be concerned about the budget this year that you're talking about a number of cash one-off payments rather than actually in a long-term way addressing the financial pressures that people are under. And I think an example of the fact that they're not properly tackling the long-term issues here in relation to energy is the fact that um, the legislation, the government were initially opposed to the idea of a windfall tax generally Mm. um, to try and tackle the super profits that the energy companies were making. They've been dragging their heels on that. They could have acted on it early last year after the regulation came through in Europe, which they kept on pointing to, saying, oh, well, we need to wait for Europe, which wasn't true, to be totally honest. But in any event, when that legislation came through from Europe in October, most since then, most European countries uh, have now brought in place a windfall tax. We could have had mm. a windfall tax in place uh, for some time now. So okay. we're in a position of uncertainty in relation to that. Um, and that is key. That is key to but, not only, I suppose, providing relief to people who are on low and middle income earners and in terms of things like fuel mm. allowance and so on, but also in terms of bringing down uh, the enormous bills that are there and that are still very significant. And you see even, you know, people would have been able to control their bills in the past by switching and uh, and mm. getting discounts and so on. But, but like Sinn Féin would give energy credits, would you? Uh, I mean, whether it's a 200, an amount of 200, or whether there's one, two, three or ten of them or whatever, you'd give energy credits. Uh, and target those credits to people on incomes of up to 70,000 euro? 
I, I like I mean as I say our alternative budget isn't produced yet so I can't confirm to you precisely what we are going to pro- propose but mm. certainly there will be very significant relief uh, for people in terms of energy I would be more inclined to think that uh, we will be proposing something that is a, a long term measure rather than a one off relief here mm. or there that we would be uh, uh, Just I'm very long. surprised to hear that I mean you're not ruling it out uh, which means you've an open mind to paying 200 euro out to people who are earning up to €70,000 a year, <coughs> excuse me, and may, may perhaps possibly many times over. Yeah, well, look, I mean, as I say, like, I mean, I think there are a lot of, like, I mean, I think you were making the point yourself previously that, uh, you know, an awful lot of people on middle incomes um, are, you know, they're paying a lot of tax and they're maybe not getting a lot for it. Um, and I think that we have to recognise that. Like, I mean, you know, my philosophy is, yes, we support those who need the most assistance, most but there are an awful lot of people there in the middle who are working very hard, who are paying a lot of tax and they don't get a lot for it. Um, you know, I think that those people deserve assistance and support as well. An awful lot of those people are people who have very high energy bills, have very high childcare bills as well. Michael, you know, that can be a second mortgage for an awful lot of families. And a lot of them could be renting. Like, I mean, if you're renting and if you're paying for childcare, that's almost... Uh, two-thirds of your income gone before you're even thinking about anything else. Um, so for those people, if they're getting energy bills of 300 euro uh, or more, then, mm. like, I mean, they are under fierce pressure, even if they are on 55,000 euro or that kind of money, like, you know. So, like, I mean, I think I think it's reasonable. Obviously, those who are at the hardest edge, who are under the most pressure, deserve the most assistance. But I, I, I'm saying very clearly I'm not opposed mm. to supporting people on middle incomes um, with their energy costs. I think that that's quite reasonable. Higher earners is a different matter uh, and I think in lots of ways um, there is more that they can contribute um, and I think there is less need for assistance. But yes, I do think middle income earners uh, will need support and do deserve support. Right. Um, the Minister, Heather Humphreys, uh, talking yesterday about pay-related benefits. Indeed, the Taoiseach uh, was talking about that uh, last week, I-, I think, in the Dáil in terms of the Tower and Mines workers, which if there was a system in place, Heather Humphreys was saying yesterday, would result in them receiving up to €450 Euro in social welfare payments. Uh, but there is a-, a question of equity related to all of this. I thought the Taoiseach articulated that pretty well last week uh, saying why there's objections although he would support the principle of pay related benefits that the more PRSI you pay the more you get back in other words not everybody would get that 450 uh, but those uh, who had the best entitlements if you like would get 450 and others would get less Uh, is that something that you would support? Well, the first thing I want to say is I attended a briefing there of the terror mines workers uh, in the dial last week um, organised by uh, my colleagues uh, Johnny Gork and Pater Tobin together um, and I listened to members of the of the workforce and uh, people from the trade unions and I just want to express my solidarity to them. It's a really worrying time for them um, and uh, and I suppose you mentioned Darren O'Rourke as well, who I know has been working with them. Uh, it's a very difficult time, and I suppose a lot of them made the point. Like, these are very highly skilled workers, and there's not necessarily positions in other industries in the locality that they can avail of. Yes, some of them could go into construction, but there's others that are highly specialised, and it's a it's a very worrying time for them. And I think it's, it's a good example to give, because... Like, I mean, I suppose the point of pay-related benefits is, and it's the most commonplace across Europe, and we are in support of it. 
like I don't think it can last forever but what you need to avoid is the cliff edge so if you're earning a certain amount and then all of a sudden your job is gone and after maybe a couple of weeks maybe you might get redundancy but if you don't if you don't get a redundancy payment uh, for whatever reason then you're you're on the, the current job seekers benefit you're, you the drop in your income could be so significant that the adjustment could be extremely challenging so like I mean I think the equity point bears out more in the longer run um, after a couple of months uh, when people have maybe time to adjust uh, and I don't think you can keep people on the higher amount the whole time but I do think there is a logic in trying to address the issue of that cliff edge when people are earning a certain amount their costs are you know very mm. often matching what they are or closely matching what they are bringing in and then uh, and that needs to be capped obviously like I mean you can't pay unreasonable amounts out either but in circumstances like that I do think for a period of time for a period of months it does make sense to have a pay related benefit so that is something that we agree with the detail of it now is a, it's a long way from being worked out so I'd say we're a few years away from that yeah it's nothing for tire and mines workers to get too excited no, about unfortunately, no unfortunately not unfortunately not but look I mean I would I know that uh, my two colleagues in the two Mead constituencies and I, I know that the Oireachtas members across the board are doing their best to try and work with the union and the staff uh, and I hope that any action to try and keep the, the jobs in place can be found and if not uh, then whatever support is necessary to support people in finding other employment. But I, I just want to express my solidarity to the workers because it's a very, very worrying thing for them. All right. Can I ask you about the minimum wage while you're with us and uh, the recommendation today from the Low Pay Commission, which I'm sure will be of interest to anybody who's earning 11.30 an hour, which is uh, the current uh, minimum pay rate. Uh, that would increase to 12.70. It's a 12% increase or 1.40 an hour. That's what's being recommended for next year. Uh, in other words, uh, close to 55 euro extra a week for someone on minimum pay uh, for a full week's work. Uh, what do you make of that recommendation? Well, look, I mean, I suppose that's a recommendation you said has just come out this morning. So, look, I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to, to discuss with my colleagues and obviously the, the party will issue uh, an official response to that. But, like, I mean, in general terms, what I think um, the minimum wage needs to do is keep pace with uh, the level of inflation. It needs to be matching that and it needs to be to ensure that uh, workers on the lowest pay are not... Uh, you know, are not left behind. So broadly speaking, I expect that I would be supportive of that, but obviously that's subject to the party examining the details and proposal. But like, I mean, look, I mean, I think clearly pay workers on the lowest incomes need uh, a pay rise. Um, I think most workers are in need of pay rise to keep pace with inflation. Um, but uh, but look, I mean, I, I believe that, you know, a significant increase is necessary, the precise level of which, obviously, that report only came out this morning, so we mm. haven't had a chance to fully consider it. But, um, okay. but I expect we would be sympathetic, Mike. And I suppose you, you've already said uh, you're not going to uh, make any specific um, proposal in terms of the budget just yet. Uh, but uh, what do you make of uh, the call for an increase in core social rates of 27.50 a week? Uh, a number of groups asking for that at this stage. My own view is that what we need to be looking at, right, there's this metric called MESOL, um, and like I mean, without getting too much into the metric, into the, the technicalities of it, what MESOL is, is it's a calculation of what an average person needs 
in a month, right? And that's not necessarily just inflation-based. That's about identifying, you know, some items will rise a bit faster, a bit slower than others. Mm. But it's identifying what are the core items that a family needs. Minimum essentials, isn't it? Yeah, that's mm. precisely it. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's precisely it, Michael. Yeah, the minimum essential standard of living. Um, so in our view, um, what we actually probably need to work towards and it was discussed in the the pensions commission but it probably applies more broadly to social protection we probably need a commission a bit like the low pay commission that examines all the factors and that affects like i mean a straight line inflation increase doesn't always tell you the full picture some things for example at the minute meat and detergents for example are rising fastest and they're not things that everyone can they're not things that people can do without um so you know a metal type metric and a commission that examines the adequacy of social welfare payments I think is the way to go uh, that will make recommendations. Like, I mean, I don't think this constant bidding war in relation to social protection rates makes sense. But figuring out the exact metric can vary depending on what's rising, what's falling at a given time. So I think what you actually need is, uh, like it's likely to be very close to what the rate of inflation is, but a commission that is uh, examining all these matters and bringing forward recommendations a bit like the Low Pay Commission. Okay, Dunka, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Dunka O'Leary is Sinn Fein's spokesperson on social protection. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Close to 6,000 fewer TV licences were sold over the month of June and the first week in July. In that first week in July, over 4,000 fewer TV licences were sold. Let's speak to our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. A very good morning, Sean. Thanks for joining us. I don't know about you, but I find this shocking news to wake up to. And it comes as a result of a response from the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, to Fine Gael TD, Brendan Griffin. Tell us more, if you would, please. Yeah, shocking, if perhaps not that surprising. So this was a parliamentary question issued to Brendan Griffin, a member of the, the media committee in the bureaucracy. You would have seen questioning some of these RT officials. And it had the breakdown for all of June and for the, the first week of July. And as you mentioned, uh, the figure there, 6,000 odd fewer licences. Now that is both renewals and new licences um, and the most profound drop is for July. So this story broke by the 22nd of June, so the June figures are only slightly down there, about 2%. You know, you wouldn't comment on them mm. other than what's, what's going on. It's the July figures that really are quite stark, a 25% drop in renewals and a 40% drop in the number of new licences. That would be, you know, new bills or if you moved house or whatever, that, that kind of thing is. So quite significant there. And, it, it, you know, 40%, that, that, that sounds quite big. It's when you get into the money then mm. that you figure out how much it is because for the total of June and that first week of July, it's a drop of revenue of about €934,000 for RTE. So that single week, first week of July alone, was the vast portion of that €670,000. And when you average that out for the rest of the year, if you were to say, right, that that was the, that the same drop is going to happen for the rest of July and the rest of the year, it would be a cumulative whole in the RTE budget of about 15.4 million euros. So this is a really yeah. worrying thing for the broadcaster to have to do with. It's really very worrying, I'm sure, for the broadcast. I'm shocked and surprised, I have to say, in equal amounts. I've heard so many people say, and you see it on social media, I'm not paying me TV licence, but talk is cheap. Uh, This would uh, appear to be the real thing. Uh, Is that your read of it, that people are so angry that they're deciding not to pay their TV licence? 
Yeah, talk is cheap, but not paying 160 euro is cheaper. It seems when uh, when it comes to something like this. Yeah, I think look, a lot of people are quite angry with it, but a lot of people don't like paying the TV license anyway, and sort of see this as a chance to to not pay it and say, well, look, why would I do it if it's going towards flip flops and parties and Ryan Tuberty you know, payments that are there. I suppose the counter to that would be one, it's the law and the Taoiseach said as recently as yesterday that he'll keep paying it and the people need to keep paying it, that it doesn't just support RTE even though that's the vast majority of the money, it does also support some independent uh, productions but also, and I, I, the feeling I have, maybe it's just uh, obviously my, my bias but from working in the industry and knowing people who work in RTE is that people will say, oh well this is two Ryan Tuberty salaries or this is two thirds of a barter account or whatever, it's actually probably the salary of maybe 15 to 18 journalists in the newsroom, that's the hole that they will have to fill and they're the people who will be disproportionately hit by a, a drop in revenue. Mm. I think the other worrying thing for this is once people are seeing that other people are doing it, they're probably more likely to do it. So there could be a snowball effect here of people, more people not deciding to pay it. Uh, and there's always the risk of running a prosecution. There are people mm. in the courts every month for not paying their TV licence fee. It was something that even judges commented on during this this whole controversy. But I think people, if they think a lot more aren't paying it, are more likely to take the risk with the attitude being well, sure they couldn't bring everyone to court. And the spotlight that it really brings on now is actually onto the government and RTE again, because there has been fears that RTE will need a bailout by the end of the year. Certainly, if there was a 15 million hole in the budget and mm. um, that hadn't been planned for, they possibly would need it. But it also now is incumbent on the politicians to actually reform the way that ICC not only is collected, but is managed as a whole, being quite an antiquated TV licence that is then, you know, collected by people going around. Uh, so that is something that politicians in particular are going to have to look quite hard at. All right, there's a, a text to us uh, from uh, Paddy Duffy saying there just aren't enough prison places and uh, I suppose uh, that echoes what you've just been saying about the attitude that people might uh, be uh, adopting in relation to this. Uh, if others aren't paying it, why am I going to pay it and so on? And then you could have that domino effect. But there are consequences. It is the law. Uh, and breaking this law uh, can result in a fine of €1,000, a court appearance and then a fine in court of €1,000. If it's the second time, €2,000. Uh, and if you're ordered by the court then to get a TV licence and you don't, you could very very well find yourself in prison regardless of how many places there are in prison. Exactly. Look, there are absolute consequences for it. This is the law. People should stick to the law. You know, I will be paying it and a lot of you know, people should really be paying it but you can understand why people are disenfranchised with RT after the controversy, after everything that was sort of raked through the media over the last couple of weeks and I suppose the thing that I just find difficult to see is how exactly RT goes about restoring that trust because the license fee as much as people will, will say you know it pays for the big salaries or whatever it pays for the likes of the primetime investigates it pays for some of the journalism that other newsrooms just don't have the resources to do or the time to set aside to go and actually look at things and reveal things sometimes very very bad things that are happening within our state there is an actual trade-off to not funding that so that is the question a bigger question for journalism but I don't think even if there was some amazing story from primetime or from anyone else in the RT newsroom next week that's not going to restore the level of confidence that will get people back paying this again it needs to be a wider thing and that's something that is going to take a lot of time the other thing I'd be worried about for them is that I asked the Taoiseach last week 
what has to be done in order for the conversation on funding to be reopened and he suggested it's not good they're not going to go near it until at least this big external review into culture and governance is done that's going to be next March so you're talking what millions and millions of forgone uh, potentially forgone uh, licence fee money during that time um, and a, a big big funding headache for the government then you look at all the different ways that politicians have basically been afraid to deal with this issue over the years be it do you bring in a broadcasting charge do you make it mm-hmm. part of general taxation like it will be paid for most likely by the taxpayer in some way, manner or description. But reforming that into a way that, that protects the public service journalism that is the very, very good part of RTE, um, while also, you, you know, not or restoring some sort of trust, I suppose, in the organisation. That's yeah. a tricky thing to do. Uh, and this could lead to something like revenue collecting the licence fee, uh, as uh, we've seen uh, being done. Uh, before uh, because there's no way of uh, avoiding revenue and already 15% before any of uh, this scandal, 15% of people don't pay their TV licence because it can be very difficult uh, to find people who don't have a a TV licence if they live in apartment blocks and that sort of thing. So if the collection is given over to revenue, then everybody is going to have to pay. Yeah, and it's an incredibly high evasion rate, 15%. 65 million euro a year is what RT estimated they were losing to that before any of this started. It's much lower. I think it's around 5% in the UK. It's much, much lower. So if you gave it to revenue, obviously, getting away from revenue, anyone will know is not an easy thing. It's not one of those letters you relish coming through the door, but they would be able to go and collect it that way. Paying for it out of general tax maybe is another idea that you never actually have to you know, pay the 160 out of your budget, but it comes out of your overall taxes. That could be another way. And then there's the wider question the politicians are asking about the commercial wing of RTE because if you were to stop RTE from advertising then suddenly the licence fee becomes a lot higher. I think Catherine Martin's department had estimated that it would add €100 on to the annual licence fee instead of 160 it would need to be 260 to fund the current level of service now I think that's a bit of a stupid idea in my opinion we we all run ads in the commercial sector it doesn't in any way influence the the editorial content that goes out and you know it's part of uh, of broadcasting but the question has become do can the same be said of the, the national broadcaster and do you maybe need to separate the commercial and the public funding so people know exactly where money is going, that it is going towards funding journalism, say, rather than, you know, into the pockets of a, a top few presenters. OK, Sean, we leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed, our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Now, you have many ways at the moment of uh, paying your licence fee. I suppose a lot of people do it online or direct debit. And, of course, uh, a lot of people still go to the post office and buy their TV licence. Let's speak to Kira McEntee, uh, who is the vice president of uh, the Postmasters Union and uh, the postmaster at Three Mile House. Uh, a very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us, Kieran. Have you seen a, a drop uh, in line with what we're hearing this morning uh, in terms of people who are coming into you to buy a TV licence? Well, people are saying they're not going to get a licence, but there's still some people buying the stamp for the save for the licence. And, and, and they are worried and they are annoyed. But there is a fallback, but not a major fallback because it comes in phases for the licence. So we'd have it in phases that you could have some months it's real busy and then some months it's not that busy. You understand me? Mm-hmm. But but people are, are, are naive. But then, as I was talking to your researcher, uh, only we get, we get paid by transactions, so if they stop doing the licence uh, through the post office, we, we lose out as well. So there's a lot of other people losing out uh, in general over the licence fee. Mm. So Because we're going through the post office, people can save a stamp or they can 
uh, buy the licence here and every post office gets paid by a transaction and not on a wage. Yeah, well, uh, a million euro lost and most of that uh, from the first week of July, if it continues in that vein, there's going to have to be a rethink. And as uh, I was discussing with Sean, uh, there's been talk for some time that uh, it would be collected by revenue. That's something, obviously, that you as a postmaster would be very much hoping against. No, we, 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 like we're trying to provide the service to everybody in, in all areas over Ireland. And if they take that away, it's another thing taken off the rural area and of ordinary people. And there's a lot of people who can't afford just to pay in bulk. As I told you, we can, mm. can buy a TV stamp there and save the €160 Euro over the 12 months. So, I mean, it's all right saying uh, take it up, but there's always some person needs needs the local area for to get the TV licence. Uh, and are those people giving out when they're coming into you? I, I mean, are they saying, here I am scrimping and scraping and trying to get a, a licence and do the right thing to pay Ryan Tuberty's salary or for flip-flops, as Sean was saying, or whatever it is uh, that the money is being squandered on? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of people are saying, and, and they're very annoyed with that, but then they're saying there's other younger people or smaller people in RTE that has, is getting a the wage there too, and they're they're, they're, they're surviving. OK, the top people there, uh, uh, a serious mistake made there uh, in the payments and not being mm. transparent about it. But still, people say it's, we, we, there's a lot of other employees there that have to get a wage. And they do complain about uh, paying the television licence. But here and there, they will pay it uh, over time. It'll take them 12 months. And as the judge said there, it's, it's, it's law to have a television licence. It's not... It's not. It's in, you have mm. to have a television license. Well, the fines are significant. A, a thousand or two thousand euro, and uh, the potential of a, a prison sentence. Uh, are, are you um, hearing from other postmasters uh, that there's been a drop in sales like this? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, sure there must be. Yeah, well, I, I've been in Dublin there, and yeah. a lot of people mm. saying there is a drop in sales in, 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 the, in the television license, and a lot of people come in and play and, and saying, "Well, I'm not going to pay it," but we, we are hoping they'll come back and when things settle down, and they, they will pay it because. They don't want to get into trouble. A lot of people are afraid. Mm. Imagine the ordinary person is afraid of being going to court or that. Yeah, person. yeah. Mm. That's, that's the problem. And and for for, mm. for the money, and they get annoyed. And 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 I know it's simple to say that, but none of us want to go to court or your name in the local paper. No. Paying a television light. And that's why but I'm surprised. The other way. Yeah, that's why I'm surprised and shocked at how many people have decided not to pay it, it would seem, in the last few weeks. Yeah. All right, Kieran, we leave there. Many thanks for taking our call today. Oh, thank that's you very uh, much. the Vice President of uh, the Postmasters Union, Kieran McEntee, the Postmaster at the Three Mile House Post Office. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. A peculiar story this week. Most Gale Talked college courses are oversubscribed. There's a waiting list to get on a course, it seems. Uh, and the Irish Times uh, reports this week uh, that there's no figures available yet uh, for how many people will attend a course this summer, but the demand has been huge. Uh, perhaps it's a, a pent-up demand post-COVID or perhaps it's because of COVID and how the ban on teas and fear on teas have left the system. Uh, let's speak to Julian Despain, who's a General Secretary of Conran and Gaelic. A very good morning to you, Julian, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. There's another theory that's been put forward as well, which is that there's such interest in learning Irish that many people are, are trying to get a, a place on a, a course in the Gael Talks. What's your theory? 
Yeah, hi Michael, uh, Gamagat for the, uh, having me on. Um, I suppose the, it's a combination of all, I suppose, um, that you mentioned there. Um, Post-COVID now, there's been a number of minority and fierce that didn't come back to the business and you can understand it. Some of them um, with the new restrictions or the new safety measures that have to be implemented cost money. Um, the price of, of food even has gone up dramatically over the last number of years as well. Um, so the, the, there's a number of factors there that the, some people didn't come back. They're trying to encourage more people to become um, an OT and, and PRT, but <laughs> I suppose um, a number of the, I suppose a lot of families now in the Gratex that would have maybe taken um, children in the past uh, for the Gratex courses now may have two jobs in the household, so they may not have the time that they once had in the past as well. Um, so we need to start thinking towards the future and put a plan together of how we can actually address this, how we can actually make sure there's enough spaces available and even grow it because mm. there's a huge interest in the language. It, there's more of a focus on it and for leaving search, you know, with the oral as well. So there should be more opportunity for people to go to the graphic if, they, if that's what they wish to do. Mm. Uh, does it benefit people? Oh, it definitely benefits. I mean, if you send a child to uh, Greta course, uh, the vast majority of them, the child will go down for the three weeks and they'll come back and they'll be fluent in the language because the immersion um, method works. If you're immersed in the language, language is all around you. You're using it from start of the day to finish of the day, whereas you you, know, you might be um, you might be hesitant at the start of that, maybe for the first few days, but after a week of it, you know they'll be fluent. You know, and it's amazing to see. It's an amazing um, how that actually happens. And actually, in the wider sense, if we were to bring that immersion education more into how we teach Irish in the schools in general. And it could have huge um, benefits to it mm. as well. Well, you've preempted my question. <laughs> Why don't we? I suppose yeah. is the follow-on but question. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, mm. we, we, when Joe McHugh was uh, Minister for Education, he did start a, a pilot course to um, introduce PE through Irish in a number of schools, and then but that's never really progressed to the point that it's available in all schools, all primary schools mm. at this stage. And that's something we should look at. You know, it should be brought in teacher training colleges. It should be brought in so that, you know, this could actually be done because that's how a student absorbs the language if it's immersed in it. If they're having the crack with the language as well, that's what you do, I suppose, the PE. That's why that was chosen. Yeah, well, we're so bad at teaching languages, not just Irish, uh, but languages. It would seem in this country, when you compare us to other countries, that it seems remarkable for you to say that there's something in our heads uh, that... That uh, means that when we're immersed in it with just three weeks in the Gale Talk that people come home speaking fluently. So it does say a, an awful lot about the way we approach teaching languages. Well, that's it. And, and, and we very much are, are trying to get the Minister of Education on board for our Gwega for All policy, which is trying to have a joined up thinking approach to teaching Irish from preschool the whole way up to third level. That you base it on the European Com framework for languages, which is basically... Um, a skills-based thing, so that you, you know, you 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 try to uh, ensure that a student, first of all, is able to speak the language and understand the language. And then you can move into the written language as well afterwards. But the most important thing is that person communicate with somebody else through the language. You know, and if you can do that, and that's what you do in French and German when you learn it as well. And that actually is on the um, that framework already to actually do um, the, the modern languages in schools do do use the framework. We can't see why we can't do with it, that Irish as well, that we would have some partial immersion in primary school. That would all help 
And the other thing I mentioned about the mm-hmm. summer colleges today is something that's very important for the schools as well. The students from uh, backgrounds, you know, disadvantaged backgrounds who don't have the money at home, there should be a, uh, a big scholarship scheme available. At the moment, there's only a certain amount of scholarships available. It's not very many for very many of the counties. We think there should be, a, um, you know, that we should be looking at, you know, investing properly in that and, and giving everybody who wants to go to the Gwaeltet, um who may, ne- may not be able to go because of money, mm. but they should have the opportunity as well because it's not cheap. You know, it, it does cost money to go to the Gwaeltet and they should be supported. And support people back into the system to provide uh, accommodation. Uh, I mean, you're, we're saying that there's regulations there that are, are costly and putting people off. Uh, should there be grants for that? There is a grant there at the moment to help people start off with um, when they're setting up their house originally, but it doesn't cover all the costs. Um, and it is an investment that I suppose anybody would have to make in their house because they're going to do it. And and have to be, I suppose, number one, they have to be um, realise that it's a, a longer-term investment. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose, as I say, the other factor, I suppose, is the food price and everything else have gone up and the, mm. the amount of remuneration they get compared to maybe if you had a and b for example, is a lot, lot less. So, you know, if there's plenty of places in the graphic that... You know um, that you could nearly be, you know, uh, do the B and B instead of the the graduate course, and you would get, you know, a lot more money for it. So we need to incentivise it uh, adequately for the Manon and Fierty to to take on board, you know, and to you know open their houses up for the for the students, which is an amazing thing that when they do that, mm. you know, for the for the uh, summer as well. Yeah, I suppose it's a, a case of deciding if we want to support the language or not. Julian, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Julian de Spain, General Secretary of Conrad and Gaelica. Let me bring you some of the comments coming to us uh, this morning. A couple of people in touch about the licence fee. Cotton Mornington says there's a simple solution for RTE, Michael. Cut the pay of the top 10 so-called stars and there's their money back and more. Thank you for that, Cahill. Um Deirdre Inkel says, did you hear that Marty Morrissey had to thumb to Crow Park because he had to give his car back? He had it on loan. Thanks, Deirdre. I imagine that one's been doing the rounds. Um, we'd Stephen Indrahada texting us about the cost of living. He said, we need at least another €150 Euro a-, a week because of the way things are since the war started. I'm a single person and I used to be able to do my shopping for €60. Euro. Now it's twice that. Electricity is €70 Euro a week, then rent on top of that. So definitely need this sorted out by budget day. My shopping has doubled since the war. Thank you indeed uh, as well, uh, Stephen, uh, for your text to us today. John texting us saying, why the hell should we pay the licence fee for the RT board to live the high life at your expense or mine for Kevin Backhurst to claim his €250,000 a year plus expenses? Uh, well, it's a lot less than some of the presenters. Uh, we need to take a stand, John says. Uh, enough is enough. David Toomey and Drogheda says, I've read articles uh, of late that a proposal will be put forward, that revenue will be prized with uh, the collection of the licence fee from people's wages. Mark my words, David says, 
this will happen and everyone will end up paying. Thank you indeed if you've been in touch with us today. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Well, the hospitality industry will be, like everybody else, hoping that there'll be good news for them in the budget and probably more to the point, hoping that there won't be bad news uh, because they're on a a reduced rate of VAT at the moment of 9%. Uh, The fear is that that would go back up to the rate of 13.5%. Let's speak to Porik Cribben, who is the Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. A very good morning to you, Porik, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Can I begin by asking you if you like Taylor Swift? Uh, when we talk about uh, the 9% fat rate, it's not all about accommodation. Our members are not into accommodation. Our members are into food. And the 9% fat rate, as far as food is concerned, is the right rate. If, for example, uh, the 9% fat rate goes up, that becomes a tax on consumers. It's not a tax on on, uh, pubs and restaurants. It will become a tax on consumers because inflation has been so high uh, on food in the last four or five years that there will be very little choice for the publicans, the restaurateurs, etc., but to pass this on. And that not alone will it have an effect on the consumer, it will increase inflation as well. I understand that, um, and I can't argue with it, but if it doesn't go back up to 13.5%, that means that the hotels that are ripping kids off who are going to Taylor Swift uh, will continue to enjoy the 9% rate. That's not correct. That is not necessarily correct. Okay. It is quite possible to have a different rate for accommodation and a different rate for food services. All that takes is political will. So it's quite possible to have that. It's done in a number of EU countries, so it's not, it, it, it's not an issue. OK, you weren't surprised that I mentioned Taylor Swift at the outset of uh, the conversation because I think people have been appalled by what the Dublin hotels have been doing. Uh, and unfortunately, you're guilty by association. Well, I think it's, it's important to note, Michael, that there are 20,000 businesses in this country affected by the 9% flat rate. Mm. It's not just pubs and restaurants and hotels. Activity centres, amenity centres, hairdressers, all of those are affected by it. Now, if you take those 20,000 businesses, there is a very, very small percentage of hoteliers who are uh, charging over the top. So the question I would ask is, should you penalise 19,800 businesses for the for the alleged sins of a uh, hundred or two hundred hotels if even uh, if even it's only a handful of, ho- of hotels in dublin even. obviously yeah. so I, mm. I think yeah. you know there needs to be balance brought to the discussion mm. and at the minute the the there isn't that balance there. okay but it's an interesting discussion that we're having right now because you're not forgiving the sins of those hoteliers obviously and i take it from what you are saying you want uh, the hoteliers that are price gouging to be treated differently and separately to the rest of the businesses in hospitality the vast majority of hoteliers are not price gouging uh, unfortunately if you if, if you decouple um, and separate uh, food services from uh, accommodation. You also do penalise the other uh, hoteliers who are doing a decent job. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, in, the, in that instance, but you're not penalising 19,000-odd uh, other businesses. Mm. 
Okay. And so what's the solution? I, I mean, uh, I'm sure there's hoteliers uh, across Louth and Mead who are, are going mad at the idea that they would have to pay for the sins of that handful of Dublin hotels uh, who are more than happy, it seems, to rip off kids or whoever it is, uh, whether it's a, a match in Crow Park or Bruce Springsteen. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter. When there's a demand for hotel spaces, those... Spaces will be looking for three, four hundred, five hundred, as we've been hearing, up to a thousand euro a night. Yeah, to be fair, Michael, we're we're very focused on the needs of our members. Yeah, there's, there's very close to fifty percent of our members doing food, and uh, if the if the nine um, percent fat rate goes back up to thirteen and a half, and by the way, it's not a budget issue; it's due to go back up on the first of September. Mm. Um, so uh, essentially they are going to be significant, significantly impacted uh, because they're left with two choices. Do I pass it on to the consumer? Uh, or And that will certainly affect business levels. Uh, or do I uh, try and uh, bear it up myself? Mm. But the margins are not there to do that yeah. because of the massive increase, the massive inflation, food inflation in the last number of years. Yeah. I read in the Irish Examiner that you met with uh, Fianna Fáil uh, in uh, the last couple of weeks and there's support amongst Fianna Fáil members uh, to continue with the 9% right, rate. Is that right? Uh, Michael, we've met with everybody in the last couple of weeks. So we met with Fianna, uh, the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party uh, and there was a very sizable number of them there. Mm. And uh, uh, to a person, they were supportive. We met with the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party. And again, there was a sizable number there. And again, they understood the arguments that uh, I'm making here, that this is not actually a tax on... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. On publicans, it's a tax on the public at a time when people are hard-pressed. Yeah. And as always in these instances, the consumer is way ahead of politicians and the rest of us most of the time. And we did some uh, some research through Red Sea. And, and you know, 70%, 71% of 
are saying that the hospitality sector needs to be protected and 60% are saying that the lower level has to be retained. So the public, the public are ahead of us on this. And the other thing that will happen, you know, we're hearing a lot about inflation at the minute. Inflation is due to be, it's predicted to be at 2.5% um, uh, next year. Uh, if this increase is passed on, that will increase that two and a half percent by about twelve percent, up to very close to up to very close to to three percent. So it's not as simple as you know. Let's let's um, uh, let's teach somebody a lesson. Uh, that's that's a nice headline, but the facts don't actually bear it out. Okay, so where's the solution? Because I don't know if there's been any research uh, done uh, or any polling done on people's views on hotels ripping people off, and there is no other way of putting it, uh, with these extortionate prices. Uh, But I I would imagine uh, it would be condemned far and wide, uh, and people don't want those hotels to be getting government support by way of a reduced VAT rate. So where is the solution? Oh, the solution is very simple. Uh, and, and to be fair to the, to the hotel industry, to be very fair yeah. to the hotel industry, the vast majority of hoteliers are aghast at what's happening in a small number of hotels. And of course they are. Uh, the vast majority. Mm-hmm. So you ask me what's the solution. In our view, the solution is, 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 is simple. It is to decouple the, um, uh, the, the uh, food services and accommodation for VAT purposes. Mm. Okay, so that would see an increase uh, in uh, rural hotels outside of Dublin. You cannot, you 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 cannot uh, have have a different VAT rate, unfortunately, for for uh, on a geographic basis. Mm. Yeah, so that, that, you know, so one has to be realistic as well. That unfortunately is not something that's in the gift of the government. Right, uh, and that would be the vast majority of hotels suffering because of the actions of a few hotels and maybe it's up to them through the Hotel Federation or whatever means that they can to communicate that to the hotels in Dublin. You have to be very careful, Michael, as a trade association. You cannot engage with your members uh, on pricing issues because it, because it is... But you can make your views known uh, and that you're hurting us if that's the case. And in fairness to both the Hotels Federation and individual hoteliers, they have done that on numerous occasions. Okay. All right. What do you believe will happen uh, come September? As you say, it's not a a matter for the budget. Do you think that the government will extend the 9% rate? Michael, if I wasn't hopeful, I wouldn't be in the job. Okay. All right. Uh, Do you like Taylor Swift, by the way? You never answered me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a big music fan, to be honest with you. (laughs) We'll leave there. Thank you, Porek, for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Porek Cribben, who's uh, Chief Executive of uh, the VFI. Some comments. Tommy says he's not surprised uh, about uh, the fall in uh, the number of TV licences being renewed. People have been left angry and upset. After hearing the RTE disclosures in recent weeks, many people are thinking, why should we continue to fund that lavish lifestyle for the top brass up there. Mary says uh, the renewal figures are only going to continue to drop over the coming months and government need to, to prepare for that. People are feeling sore about how things have uh, played out. Seeing uh, their hard money being paid and fees being used to line the pockets of the top earners and the big bosses up there, maybe they should cap the salaries of their top earners and some of their executives and this will help them recoup any loss in earnings. 
Thank you. Indeed, somebody giving out uh, about uh, Kevin Backhurst's uh, salary, the 250000 that the new Director General is going to earn. Um, it really is uh, small money for uh, the most important man in RTE running the organisation, if you consider Ryan Tuberty's half a million, Ray Darcy on €450,000, Joe Duffy on €404,000, Marion Fanoukin, um, these are old figures obviously, but I think you get the idea. Um, I, I presume there were pay cuts after those figures were published that I have there, but it really is incredible amounts of money. I think uh, we heard figures of over 300000 being paid to, to some of the presenters. Uh, WhatsApp message uh, then from somebody who says that um, they're not going to pay their TV licence, uh, that it's just going to these big salaries. Um, we'd uh, another text then from Rita Indrata, who says, uh, Ryan Tuberty used up about five TV licences um, just driving to Drogheda. <laughs> That's the, what was it, 408, no, 850 euro, I think, for, for the car. Uh, Joe Soap, I don't think so. If we could see someone held responsible for all the waste of money, uh, that won't happen. We all know that, uh, says Rita. Thank you, indeed. Um, Eamon Indelier says, uh, maybe this is a silly question, but why are the workers in Turner Mines getting top treatment over their paying conditions? With the top wages uh, the miners were on, surely there were savings for a rainy day. What about all of the other businesses who never even got a say in the radio? Same old Ireland is the way I see it. Just keep feeding the wealthy, says Eamon. Thank you indeed. Well, I I take it that they got it because of the trade unions negotiating it with the company uh, and it got all of the attention because of the scale of job losses. 650 people in a town the size of Navin, I'm sure, Eamon, uh, you'll agree, is just colossal and there's the wider consequences uh, uh, for the local economy. But thank you indeed. If you want to make comment on the programme today, our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as I'm sure you heard on LMFM's news yesterday, uh, Louth County Council is uh, going to write to the Christian Brothers and condemn uh, the legal strategy that they've uh, adopted in relation uh, to victims of child sexual uh, abuse. Uh, the issue of the freedom of uh, the city honour that was bestowed on Brother Edmund Garvey in Drogheda will be looked at by the councillors based in Drogheda. One of those councillors, P.O. Smith, has come into us uh, this morning and uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Um, There's been a a lot of resistance to that call to rescind the freedom of uh, Drogheda. Uh, I don't think um, you or your colleagues in the Labour Party have had any time to heed that call up to now. Can you explain to us why that has been the case? Well, I wouldn't say we haven't had any time to heed the call. Or, or uh, There is a resistance. There's definitely truth in that statement. And uh, I mean, to rescind the freedom on anybody who was given a freedom award in a town or a city is a very big issue, number one. Because it's a judgment on that individual and their character and their life, life's work. Because when they're given it in the first place, it's given on the basis that they have made some form of a significant and positive contribution to the community in which they come from, or indeed the wider community. 
But if you were to rescind it, then it says the opposite in terms of the value of that individual. So, for example, in, in Brother Garvey's case, if we can say that he was given it on the basis, and I don't know, none of us who are councils presently were, were, were there in 1997 when this was done, but under the protocols we can say that he was given it on the basis of that he's made a positive and significant contribution to education, to the community, to Drogheda, etc. <clears throat> now, if Brother Garvey was convicted of child sexual abuse during that period of time, uh, well then, that would negate mm. The awarding of the freedom, and it wasn't. There's no allegation, no, well, that's, no that's, accusation. Yeah, no, yeah. There's no question of any wrongdoing yeah, yeah. by Brother Garvey. Well, let, let's look at that. Like, I mean, there's no question of any wrongdoing in terms of uh, breaking the law. He's adopted a legal strategy that was in, that was proposed to him by his legal team and the leadership of the Christian Brothers. He's never been accused or even in any way insinuated that he was involved in any type of sexual abuse. He's never moved perpetrators around. He has spoken very out very strongly in against the perpetrators of child sexual abuse from the Christian Brothers. To paraphrase him, he, he actually said that, you know, when you think of the fact that some Christian Brothers have sexually abused children, I'd go so far as to say that it's almost unforgivable. Except I couldn't quite go that far because I'm a Christian and I hold out the possibility of forgiveness even for the worst offenders. So in the strongest possible terms, as far as he could go, he condemned the people who carried out these crimes on young innocent people. If I was going to rescind the award on Brother Garvey, I'd have to think that he was a ca- he had a callous disregard for the people who actually were sexually abused. And I can't find any evidence so far okay. to suggest I want to, that, that I, want, I want to return to the opening question about mm. heeding the call mm. um, from the victims. Uh, mm. And I believe you didn't heed the call because you were invited to meetings uh, many times over. You were asked to um, meet with Damien O'Farrell and other victims uh, and to talk this through and to understand why they were asking you to do it. And at no stage did any member of your party mm. uh, meet uh, with the victim. So mm. that, that that is what I mean by heeding the call. Uh, the other thing is um, that there's questions about the order uh, having been reported. And I think it could be argued and probably will be argued after this interview that had you attended those meetings, you'd have known that brothers were left teaching in colleges mm. uh, and so on. They may not have been moved around so that their crimes were hidden, uh, but they were ignored. Uh, we heard of that Hendrick fella uh, whipping a child in mm. a, a dungeon. Uh, and uh, indeed, uh, that uh, those crimes went on while those children were in the care of the brothers. And that the brothers are now intentionally thwarting the little boys and they'd all have been boys, of course, because mm-hmm. Christian brothers teach males. All of those boys were left to live with that all of their lives. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the criminals, the, the, the rapists, the paedophiles um, that we're talking about, in most cases, had been convicted in a, a, a criminal court. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's this strategy, which is only intended to protect the bank balance of the, Christ, of the Christian brothers with total and utter disregard for the victims. That's what the victims are, are telling you or they're reaching out and trying to tell you. Does that not wash with you? 
Absolutely, it does. I went to a school where there was physical and sexual abuse by, committed by Christian brothers, so I know firsthand exactly what went on. What went on. Uh, that's number one. Number two, in regards to heeding, uh, I was in contact with, with, with uh, Damien O'Farrell and I didn't go to the meeting in the Boyne Valley Hotel because I couldn't go, but I replied straight away, uh, well, fairly quickly, that I couldn't attend that meeting because I had other commitments on that that day. Uh, I mean, in fairness to Damien O'Farrell, he outlined in detail exactly uh, what he wanted and what victim victims wanted and, and where they were coming from. And uh, so to say that we, we didn't heed or I didn't heed what they were what they were looking for, I think is inaccurate. Also in regards to the discussions that took place in committee in, in Drada Borough Municipal District among the councillors, uh, just to put things in context too, there was issues around popping up around the possible litigation issues and defama- defamation issues and that type of stuff that were coming out. Council were getting, we were being told the council were getting uh, statements from, solic- from barristers to say that discussing this issue in public could be defamatory. Who said this? We were told that by the chief executive. Right. And my understanding is that... that I'm sorry, is an important reason I'd like to know. There's correspondence with Loud County Council from um, Brother Edmund Garvey's legal representative. No, 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 no. I didn't, no, I didn't say Brother Edmund Garvey's legal representative. I said they got uh, their own legal their advice. Their own legal they advice. They sought yeah. legal advice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. No. That's that's uh, impossible. We had James McGuill, solicitor, uh, on the program, uh, and legal opinions will always differ. But it's mm-hmm. very hard to understand. There's, there's, um, if there is any basis. Uh, for suggesting that this would be slanderous or defamatory or whatever mm-hmm. uh, because it, 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 there's no question of any wrongdoing. Mm. Well, as you suggested, as you suggested there a few minutes ago, legal opinion is just that mm. until you get in front of a judge and then that judge will tell you what the actual opinion mm. is in terms of truth. So, I mean, you know, it's very easy for and barristers and solicitors mm. will always tell you this is okay. the this is the way it could possibly be, but I'd I'll never be, tell you without definite. I'd be worried, but, Pio. Just I feel sort of yeah. obligated to say it to you mm. because I'd be worried about how what you've just said is going to be received. Um, I have to ask you: Are you saying that uh, you're interested in the bank balance of Louth County Council? No, no. Uh, I'm not interested in the bank balance of Loud County Council at all. I mean, what I'm interested in is But you're is worried justice. that Loud County Council be sued. No, no, no. no and that's the way no. that will be heard. Yeah, no, I'm The not. victims are telling you yeah. that they, they that not only were they uh, defiled as children, mm-hmm. but they're enduring another type of abuse because mm-hmm. justice is being delayed, if not denied, and in many cases denied, and they're asking for help. Yeah. There is an aspect of the fact that Lower County Council could be sued. That isn't the issue for me. I mean, that was a decision that was taken by the Chief Executive in terms of uh, not allowing the motions to go forward in the first place. So I'm only pointing out the fact that there was legal opinion given in that regard. The issue for me is, you know, taking going back to the very beginning of our conversation, making a moral judgment, uh, not only a moral judgment, but a significant negative judgment on the individual but I don't know the full motivations behind the reasons why this, a, this legal strategy do. No, 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 hang no, on a second No, 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 no I, don't. I don't That's your opinion now You're saying mm. that you believe that that's his, the legal opinion 
is being pursued, our legal strategy is being pursued because it's just to stop paying out victims. Are yeah. you saying then that Brother Edmund Garvey has callous disregard for the victims? I'm saying that the strategy that he has adopted uh, shows no regard whatsoever for the victims. It's a, a strategy that has been criticised by several High Court judges, by the former Chief Justice. Yeah. The Law Reform Commission is calling for a change in the legislation so that this strategy cannot be adopted by the Christian Brothers yeah. or by anybody else. As is the Labour Party, by the way. Uh, and it also shows disregard for um, retired old men who um, were Christian Brothers, uh, who are maybe living abroad in nursing homes, have dementia, uh, who are being dragged into this by this strategy mm. because they all have to be sued. Mm. In order to sue a paedophile who was a Christian brother, you have to sue 115 innocent mm. men. Absolutely. And I mean, nobody's denying that fact. I mean, you're, you're talking about the fact that the Law Reform Commission wants it changed. I mean, all the councils want it changed. All the councils have written to the Taoiseach. The mayor has written, the former mayor, Michelle Hall, has mm. written to the Taoiseach on behalf of the councillors. We put forward motions in regards to the Law Reform Commission. Do you not believe it shows disregard for the victims? I don't believe it shows callous disregard for the victims because that would imply that basically Brother Garvey is a psychopath and he doesn't care about the feelings and the uh, suffering and the traumatisation mm. of victims. Now, I'm not saying that he, he is a psychopath. Well, you could say, say, well, well, do you think Cardinal Sean Brady is a psychopath? I have no idea. Who, uh, the former Primate of All-Ireland uh, yeah. who, who conducted a, a canonic trial with a, a 12-year-old boy and started asking him all appropriate and then there was this mental reservation and there's so many uh, characters in the church who are so protective of the institution mm. that they represent that nothing else matters. Mm. It doesn't make them a psychopath, it just makes them a religious. No, again, we differ in terms of our definition. You know, for me, if, if somebody's got a callous disregard to people who suffered, as did the victims, the child sexual abuse victims of Christian Brothers, I would call them a psychopath because they have absolutely no feeling. They have no regard whatsoever to the suffering that those people are actually enduring and going through. So that's, I don't believe that. Well, that's what the victims are telling you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what the victims yeah, wanted yeah. to meet you to tell you. Yeah. But in fairness to, as I said, Damien O'Farrell had articulated that very, very clearly to me. And I, was, I spoke to him uh, as well. Uh, you know, so, I mean, the, the issue is, that's, that's, the way, that's as far as I see it. I mean, mm. it is a difficult issue here uh, for everyone that's concerned. And I mean, to be honest with you, even where we're at now at this point in time, I mean, it was known last December that this was a borough council issue. It nothing got to do with the fact that Low County Council uh, have any jurisdiction over this because they haven't. Mm. I mean, the idea. Of no one member of uh, the borough council or Drogheda Urban Rural um, met with Damien O'Farrell. Met with him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And maybe they didn't. You know, that's the reality Why? of it. Well, I mean, I mean, it's abnormal. Mm. I just don't understand it. Mm. It's abnormal. Mm. It's not unusual. It's abnormal yeah. that public representatives shun victims of child sexual abuse. No, I don't believe that they shun victims of child sexual abuse. When, I mean, I spoke to da Damien O'Farrell and I didn't meet, meet him face to face, but I spoke to him over the phone and I communicated him through email as well. And uh, I know that for a fact, the decision was taken to give it to the mayor to respond and correspond back to Damien Farrell, which he did. Uh, so it's not a matter, nobody was shunned. Okay. Nobody was shunned. Mm. They feel shunned. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they do feel shunned. Mm. I mean, the other side of the coin is this, that there are people who were who sexually abused as children in that chamber yesterday. 
and not in that chamber yesterday, who feel that they're being intimidated now. Because the feeling is that if you don't rescind the, the freedom of Drada and Brother Garvey, well then, you're not on the side of victims. Mm. Well, you and are, you, no, but hang on a second, if you tell a, someone that was sexually abused that you're not on the side of victims because you don't rescind the freedom mm. of Drada, what does that do to that individual or those individuals? That re-traumatises them, big time. Will you vote to request Brother Garvey to volunteer to rescind the honour? I'm not going to say now what I'm going to do. What I'm going to accept to say that I'm going to sit down with my other colleagues and, and draw the Borough Municipal District and uh, have a really frank discussion around this mm. issue. And we're also going to contact the Christian Brothers to try and see can we get some further understanding about why this legal strategy has been adopted. Mm. But let me say this. Mm. Even if I believe the freedom was rescinded. I don't think it brings the victims closer to getting satisfaction in terms of the outcomes that they mm. want to get. It sends it, a strong it, message. It sends a message. But listen, just, yeah. let me say something else mm. too, right? There's this issue too about the draw the Borough Municipal District and, and the members on it not doing something. But Damien and Finian McGrath were in government from 2016 to 2020. The issue about Brother Garvey came up in the Supreme Court in 2017. Now, if you're in government and you're sitting around the cabinet table and you've got a, you're an advisor to a minister, the question has to be asked, why was there not a law change in regards to how nominees were put forward or not put forward by religious orders and, their, and, and how their asses were protected? Okay. Would you turn around and say, that Damien and Finian McGrath were not on the side of victims because they didn't succeed in doing that. Okay. Uh, we'll take that as a statement. I'm not going to answer yeah, it, obviously. Yeah. Um, ju- ju- just one last question, a just very brief answer. Uh, have you any theory uh, as to why this strategy is in place other than um, an attempt to obstruct justice? Yeah. My understanding is, my, my theory is this, that... They have put forward this strategy. They are saying that they have got uh, people can come and take them, take legal cases against them. There is a mediation process that they can go through if they want to go through that. And I think I can only guess here because I'm re- trying to read up on this as much as I can. That's similar to what probably happened in Australia, where they have got a community, a community to protect in terms of paying for them and 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 their, their care as they get older, and the carrying on of the the Christian Brothers as a, an organisation and they're trying to strike a balance between redress and continuing on as an organisation. Now, is that true? And I, I have no idea. But all of us are trying to rack our brains to figure out And does that sit, well, does, does that sit no, okay no, with you? Not necessarily. That they deny justice in order to uh, fulfil their responsibilities? Yeah, well, it all depends on how you define justice. I mean, you know, is it unjust if you've got disadvantaged communities where everything, the rug is pulled under, under them? Frank Clark. Former you know? Chief Justice. Yeah, I says agree. Justice. Uh, yeah, so, I agree so that's with Frank so, so okay. So about, just, justice is being denied. Yeah. Uh, so does it sit okay with you to deny justice on the basis not, that they need the money to fulfil their responsibilities? Not necessarily, but you're asking me for a theory, and I'm, I'm okay. actually giving you yeah. theory. So okay. it, you know, I think it's a bit unfair to ask me then to defend that theory when I don't know whether it's well, true or false. Uh, you know. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, will you want to know? 
before you I vote? do want to know, yeah. Okay, before you more. vote. Will you want to know before you vote? I want to know more, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Definitely. We'll, we'll leave it there because it's yeah. some weeks before the vote. Thank yeah. you for coming into us this no morning. Much appreciated. That's uh, Labour Party councillor in Drogheda, P.O. Smith. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Damien O'Farrell is with us. Uh, Damien, you were listening to P.O. Smith. Uh, what did you make of what P.O. had to say? I was disappointed, I suppose. I was disappointed in what he had to say. I thought there was some mudslinging there, like bringing in uh, Finian McGrath's name. I've been on this. I've never mentioned anyone's name. I talk about the mayor of Drogheda, and I I don't talk about names. And bringing in Finian McGrath into this, Finian McGrath's minister wrote to Edmund Garvey in 2020. Did any members of his party write to Edmund Garvey since I contacted him last October? He wrote to... He, did, he he was instrumental in getting the Louise O'Keefe, the aftermath of that from a government, sorted out. He set up the Grace Tribunal. We met with the Minister um, of Education. We met with the Department of Education. We met with the Attorney General in a room to try and get things, to try and support victims and to come on here and, and to do that. It's just, it's, it's like the muds. There was mudslinging going on yesterday as well. There was, um, Maeve Yor was intimated that she, she was a bully, that she this was a media circus. Ma- Maeve Yor is not a bully. Now, that, that remark was withdrawn, in fairness, but she's not a bully. Um, she's the most compassionate counsellor that, that I've ever met, actually. She was prepared to put her money before her mouth is in her house to take a judicial review against this council. She's the most compassionate person, counsellor, politician that, that I've ever met, bar none. Bar none. Um, so I'm just... Um, the media circus... I wrote to the, uh, the council last October mm. and... The mayor of Drogheda wrote back to me in December and said that the, it was up to the Drogheda councillors and they weren't inclined to mm. do that. And a couple of days later, I wrote back to the mayor of Drogheda and uh, nobody responded to that um, message. You nobody. Appear, you've, you've been into us quite a few yeah, times over the, la- over the last uh, number of mm. months at this stage. Mm. Uh, you, you appear to be a bit shocked by what you were just listening to. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to just finish there. Yeah. Paddy McQuillan did after the primetime programme at Ferry. He did mm. contact me and he's been he's been very good. And I want to thank Paddy. Yeah. I want yeah. to thank uh, Conor Keelan. I want to thank Thomas Sharkey. I want to thank Sinn Féin for the motion mm. that they, the, the, the amendment that they put. I am fairly shook, yeah. Um. In October, when I wrote uh, to to um, to the councillors, I said the personal toll that this was going to take on me. Um, I didn't realise that I'd be here a year later when we come in September, still trying trying to trying to to get down with anyone to, to to sit down and to listen. You know, the people would listen to victims to listen to what they're saying. Um, I mentioned um, I mentioned 1997 and I mentioned uh, when Brother Garvey was the leader of the order that they were given. I mentioned in the letter that I wrote in October, I wanted to tell them what was going on in Ireland in 1997. I was knocking on doors looking for other victims. I got the first victim, Christian Brother, convicted and he was convicted in 98 and we had to get him into court in 97 around that time and the brothers were protecting that brother. The organisation that Brother Edmund Garvey was in charge of was protecting that brother. They were not cooperating with the guards and they protected him and they left him in a school for three years in charge of 400 children until he was convicted, until he was charged, he was suspended because the brothers did not cooperate this is what was going on in 1997 and I put that in my letter to the councillors last October and I wrote to them again in October to ask them to reconsider mm. would they meet me would they meet victims would they write to would they write to uh, Edmund Garvey no, and I'd love to know has any councillor have, have they written to uh, to Edmund Garvey has, have, have they done anything and to come on here and to mudsling this is about being a Christian 
And I'm contending that Brother Edmund Garvey is not acting in a Christian way by putting these victims at the moment now as we speak Ken Grace who you talked about the other day um, he, his, his perpetrator was convicted at this very he was whipped he was tortured at the very this moment now that we are talking he's sitting in his car outside the high court listening to this interview he to listen to P.O. there and he's ready to go into the high court for the umpteen time and Colin O'Gorman was here last week. We're just calling out. We wanted to be treated in a Christian way. This isn't a Christian way. And we want councillors to listen to us. And it's taken a year. And, and the resistance, is, it, was, it was aggressive there yesterday, I felt, in the, in the council chambers. And it just wasn't right. I think Mavior was embarrassed. She couldn't bring me in for a cup of tea. I wasn't allowed to go in for a cup of tea. There's a tradition in councils around when you, a fellow councillor comes to your council that he would be given hospitality. I wasn't given that. It's like I'm the bad guy. Because mm. you're, you're representing... Yeah, uh, and this the is victims. the feature of, yeah. of when whistleblowers come forward and, and Maeve but, but, is like but, the whistleblower now. And you I are don't think a sitting cancer and independent cancer. I am, yeah. I am. Let's uh, talk to Maeve Yor. She's on, on the phone. Uh, independent cancer allowed. Uh, Maeve Yor, uh, I'm not sure after listening to P.O. Smith uh, if much was achieved through your motion yesterday. Um, good morning, Michael. Good morning, Damien. Um I think we have achieved something. I feel that it, is, it at last has been a positive. Um, I'm an elected rep, PO, and all the other 29 can, 28 councillors in Loud County Council are elected reps of Loud County Council. We are elected by the people to represent the people. And we have to stand up and speak up and have the moral courage to be the voice for all the people in Loud. And what PO is after saying is has been very hurtful again to the um, survivors, I feel. Um, and he talks about intimidation. Intimidation works both ways. And this, this motion has always been about the survivors. How survivors want to deal with their abuse is up to them. It's their personal journey. But I have been asked to represent, and the other 28 councillors have been asked to represent, the survivors in Louth and in Meath and in Wicklow and in all over the country, all over the country. I have been asked and I have taken up, um, I have taken that up in the council. I met with them. And just to correct you, Michael, you said earlier on that no other councillor in Drogheda Borough, Paddy McQuillan had the moral courage and the dignity and did correspond with the survivors and did meet with the survivors in the Boyne Valley Hotel and did support me with my motion yesterday. And thanks for that um, correction, yes. Uh, okay. No, you're grand. It's just, you know, like yeah. we have to stand up and speak up and um, I'm not getting personal. Um, this isn't about me, even though I was called names over the last nine months or whatever. This isn't about me. This is about getting justice for the survivors of child sexual abuse and sexual abuse in Ireland and in the world. Yeah. And this is about being a leader in your community and having the courage to do that. Okay. Damien? Yeah, just to, to give people an idea, um, in, in 2004, and if the councillors had to come to meet us mm. in the Boyne Valley, we, we could have explained to you. There no, nobody mm. has ever sat down with us. Smith said he heard you. Yeah, yeah. You articulated all that to him. Yeah, in a letter, yeah. But he's off face-to-face. I presume, you know, I mean, you're talking about all of the public representatives in uh, the Drawed area who uh, have a, a similar view to uh, P.O. Smith. We know all that, yeah. uh, but we're not going to vote to rescind or ask 
the brother to volunteer to resent. And our only truck really is with the leadership of, of the Christian Brothers. In 2004, mm. 2004, the Christian Brothers, they mm. challenged the Ryan Report. They challenged the Ryan mm. Report. And Gibson, who's the, who's the leader Just now. as Ryan was so critical of the Christian Brothers, yeah. uh, they were the least cooperative of all. Of yeah. all. But, but they, they know they know all yeah. that, but they challenged, But they challenged the leadership. Um, they challenged the Ryan for their elderly members. Mm. They were standing up for their elderly members. They wouldn't, didn't want to put this through, this, their elderly members through this. Mm. Brother Garvey, by decisions that he's made, he's put his elderly members through. Mm. His elderly members are getting a high court summonses. Yeah. So what's the hypocrisy? Mm. Like the okay, double, but the they, double they standards. They know all that. I mean, yeah. you know, they know. They, they, well, they, I don't they, know if they, they do. <laughs> well, they do. Well, we were told this morning, we know all that. Uh, they, they've yeah. informed themselves yeah. and they've formed their own opinion. Okay. Well, I'd like the, if the public are listening to this, if they could, if they could contact their councillors in Loud and... and, and and, and let them know what they think. They've listened to me over a while. This this is going to run on, I suppose. Well, I suppose it's in the Drogheda area. In the Drogheda, in the Drogheda area, and 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 say what they think to their councillors. Do they think? Do the do the public think that the uh, after listening to the survivors on your on your show and you've been a, this show has been a great supporter. Um, what do they think? You know, because we don't really know what they, what they think, and we know what their councillors think. Um, and and they're not. There is a resistance there, mm. um, but we don't know what. Um, we don't know what what the public think in the Drogheda area, and I'd love mm. to know what the public think. And the public should be communicating that message. Yeah. And I also want to mention Mayor Tully yesterday. In fairness to her, she gave a commitment that this um, that this this item, uh, whether to will rescind or not, yeah. will be on the on the. Uh, on the, on the agenda, on the agenda yeah, for yeah, vote yeah, in September, uh, which is, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, Eileen, and I want to thank yeah. her for that. Okay, uh, just to just to conclude, uh, because I've only got My about notes. a minute left, Maeve. Yes, I want to come back to you to conclude, and I really only have about a minute left. Uh, do you think yeah. that it w- would make much difference in terms of the outcome of the vote if listeners contacted the councillors in Drada, as Damien is suggesting? Well. Many people, some of whom aren't survivors, have contacted me, uh, Michael. And what I would say is, let's have a frank and open discussion about this. Whatever the Drogheda councillors decide, this is a democracy. Whatever the Drogheda councillors decide will be decided in September. But I will always support the victims and the families um, and the advocates for people of child sexual abuse and sexual abuse in general. I am an elected rep. It's my duty to represent everybody, and I have. And and I feel that it's not it's a them and us situation now. It should never have come to this. They should have met back in October when they were asked to meet. Okay. And I just want to commend Paddy McQuillan, Bernie Conlon, Conor Keelan, and Thomas Sharkey. And um, Bernie from the start, and Paddy from the start, and and Conor and Thomas for, for supporting okay. a gesture. I, I have to end our conversation, uh, but uh, we will return to this topic, I'm sure, before the end of the month. And thank you both uh, for joining us. Independent Councillor Maeve, you're on the phone and in studio with us once again, Damien O'Farrell. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of crimes Garda you're investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Mark Doran joins us from Laytown Garda Station for this week's report. And we're going to begin with a burglary that occurred in Dundalk. Sorry, Michael. Good morning. Um, yes, Michael, on, on the Dublin Road there on the dock between the 11th and 12th of July last, we had a burglary uh, that occurred between the hours of 10pm on the 11th and 9am 9 p- 9 on, the, on the 12th. 
A garage attached to the premises was entered and a large quantity of garden equipment was stolen. We're asking anybody that, that either live on the Dublin Road area of Dundalk or are passing that area in around that, that time on those dates that they observed any persons or any vehicles acting suspicious um, that would they contact uh, Dundalk Garda Station there on 042 We've another burglary to report on, an aggravated burglary, but this dates back almost two months to the 14th of May. That's correct, Mike. Yeah, this is this is um, a late report um, uh, for for a reason to me currently unknown. But I have to say it is is a quite um, 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 horrific attack on this female. She was attacked in her home by at least one male. Um, on the 14th of May last, between the hours of 4pm and 7.30pm on that date. What we are aware of is that uh, the male entered a house, uh, stole a, a large quantity of cash and personal documents belonging to the injured party. Um, it occurred in around the Marsh area of Drogheda and we're asking anybody that it was in around that they can recall of the Marsh Road area in around the 14th of May and may have witnessed somebody in an aggravated state or anything to that effect, to please contact Drogheda Garda Station on 041-987-4200. please. All right, more or less in the last 24 hours. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, burglary in Drogheda to report on next. That's right, uh, Michael. In the Bobek, Bobek area of Drogheda, uh, yesterday, between the hour, uh, in around the 10 a.m. in the morning, actually, uh, we are aware that a large quantity of jewellery was stolen. Now, investigations to date have identified that we're aware of a small black car with, with, with silver, what, what we describe as very silver-coloured rims, tyres, um, that was on the car, uh, was in the area at that particular time. And, what, and we are aware that there's at least two to three males involved in this crime. Um, now, I have to emphasise there was, was a large quantity of jewellery stolen of, of, of high value. And we're asking anybody that, that resides in the Bobic area, anybody that was out walking or driving in the Bobic area yesterday morning that may have witnessed uh, anyone that they deem suspicious to contact us at Strada Guard Station. And anyone that has any CCTV on their house or anyone has a, has, um, a ring a ring bell on the front door, again, contact Strada Guard Station on uh, 041-987-4200 or on the Guard Confidential Line on 1-800-666-111, please. OK, that was 10 o'clock yesterday morning. We go to Navin next uh, and an assault on a man a week ago. That's correct, Michael. Yeah, again, on the 11th of July, a lone male was in the Primgate area of Navin Town Centre. And in the early hours that morning, he was uh, assaulted by another lone male and received a number of blows to the head and received injuries that required um, medical treatment. Um, We would ask anyone who may have been in the Trimgate Street area of Navin in around that time with the contact Navin on 046 903-6100 please. And we're going to conclude uh, with a, a robbery in Navin that happened last week. That's right Michael, again on the 12th of July last on the Abbey Road area of Navin uh, a, a, lone, a lone male was uh, in the Abbey, Abbey Road area near the post office he was uh, accosted by another lone male 
he was and he was threatened with a knife. Uh, no injury was sustained by the by the injured party in this investigation. It occurred around 10 a.m. in the morning uh, on Abbey Road. I would ask anyone who was in the area, which you would anticipate would be reasonably busy, uh, being this being very close to the post office, if they saw that crime occurring or saw anyone, what we would know better describe as wearing a blue hoodie top, and they may know that individual or may have spoken to us, to somebody who may have further information to contact the Navin Garda station on 046 903 6100 or the Garda confidential line, Michael, on 1800 666 111. Sergeant, thank you very much indeed, Sergeant thank Mark you, Doran of Laytown Garda Station, and we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. We'll leave you today with uh, just some of uh, the comments coming to us, some text messages. Mary said she was listening to P.O. Smith, still can't understand why the Counselors are standing in the way of justice for abuse victims. What are they thinking? A Navin listener says when the local elections come around, the people of Drogheda can have their say on the Brother Garvey issue. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, we'd uh, somebody else whatsapping us who says, Michael, these Christian brothers might be old now, but they were young men when they were using young boys. They should be, uh, shouldn't be allowed to hide behind religion, hope they're, uh, that they rot in hell. Thanks, Alan. Uh, when I was talking about the old man, I was talking about the old man who didn't abuse children, who didn't do anything wrong in their lives. Lovely old men uh, who are going to be sued because of the strategy. I know it's very confusing, but they'll end up being sued because of the strategy that the Christian brothers have, uh, which could be argued is is abusing the old man who did nothing. Uh, Tom says Jed Nash was sitting at uh, the cabinet table when he, he got rid of the borough council. Uh, thanks uh, for that, uh, Tom. Um, we've somebody else saying, what in God's name is going on here? Uh, can you please uh, shine some light on the madness? Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that. And that's where we leave you because it's all that we have time for today. Unfortunately, our time has run out on us once again. Maggie McGuire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie